All right, welcome everybody into another edition of the KSL Court Report slash Salt City Hoop Show podcast. We're uploading it to both places just to, you know, make it fun. Make sure everyone gets to listen to me, Zach Harper, Ben Anderson, our host for today, talking about the Utah Jazz and the NBA. Uh, we It's our second consecutive show after a big Jazz win against a playoff Western Conference opponent, and this one probably meant more even than the Houston Rockets win did because for the first time, the Jazz looked good against the Clippers, and of course, that's their likely playoff opponent come April. So we wanted to talk a little bit about that game. Uh, wanted to talk a little bit about Rudy Gobert's defensive chances, and uh, I also wanted to talk about potatoes, even though nobody else did, namely Dirk Nowitzki and CJ Miles are receiving fan potatoes. Stick around for the potato talk so, for sure. Yeah, yeah that's gonna be at good. the 35-minute mark. Yeah. Yes. I just made that up. <laughs> but if you go to 35-minute mark and we're talking about potatoes... That he check checks out. I'll make sure. I'll make sure. We do, I'll just, <laughs> just whatever we're talking about. Eighteen then. minutes of music until we get to there. <laughs> yeah, just take a quick break. Uh, so anyway, Jazz beat the Clippers one fourteen one oh eight on Monday night, uh, and Jazz play the Pistons tonight, and then the Cavs tomorrow night. Both of those games on the road. So we will kind of have an idea of how the team responds to that win on Monday. But I thought in itself that was probably the most important win of the season to have. Uh, some success against the Clippers coming into April. Yeah, I mean that was a that was a matchup where the first two games of the year, and I don't put a ton into regular season matchups, right? Because uh, you hear so often, you see so often that things just change in the playoffs from a random night in the regular season to a seven game series that you're scouting and game planning for, and teams will not, you know, really give away all their secrets in the regular season unless they, you know, desperately have to to make a a playoff seed. Um, but in those first two games, the Jazz got dominated. I mean, yeah. just embarrassed. 75 points in the first game, 72 points in the second game. Uh, missed just a ton of shots, just a real, really bad play. So you started to wonder a little bit, like, maybe this Clippers team's too much for them or, or too experienced for them or however you want to put it. And then to see them bounce back like that, it at least shows you, okay, there is a situation where this Clippers team that has you know been barely beaten by the Jazz for years, I think, been – said on the last podcast. Like, 17 of 18. Yeah, 17 of 18. Like, all right, to Nine get... straight in Salt Lake. Right. Yeah. That's, I mean, to lose on your home court right. that often especially is the jazz. crazy. Yeah, especially the Jazz. Um, you know, it was good to see them kind of fight that way and execute. And they, you know, didn't have a good first half. They responded in the second half, and, and it worked out for them. Yeah, I, I thought that was really impressive. Sorry, go ahead, Ben. No, I mean, I, I thought the Jazz came out in the first quarter, at least the first... I mean, I guess it was just the whole first quarter with Chris Paul going crazy and... Again, the Jazz have a knack for making that Clippers defense look like it's the 4 Pistons or something. I mean, they just make all five guys look like they're incredible all-stars on that team. And then the Jazz responded in the second quarter. George Hill certainly got going in the second half, and I thought that was the difference. But I, I agree with you. I think that was probably the best win of the season so far for the Jazz, just because what it means coming up in the playoffs where these two teams are almost a lock to meet. Let's kind of – I, I want to kind of look at what happened on Monday and figure out, like, what – what of that we saw on Monday is going to happen in the playoffs and what, what isn't, right? Uh, I mean, first of all, Chris Paul, like you said, going off in the first quarter had 16, but only ended up with, you know, 33. Certainly that's that's very, very, very good. And I think he was the Clippers' best player. Uh, but I, So, like, that I don't think is, is unsustainable to expect from a playoff Chris Paul. We've right. definitely seen him seen a lot. play that well <laughs> yeah. before. Um, on the other hand, Blake Griffin only scoring eight, eight points that game. You got to think he'll do better in a playoff scenario. Well, and he only took eight shots. So I kind of wonder: was there too much imbalance? And and it's kind of crazy to say that because Chris Paul just had it going, and he scored sixteen points to the the Jazz nineteen points. You know, to to kind of <laughs> kick off the game. I mean, he was keeping pa- pace with the entire team, but it did kind of 
I don't know, phase out Blake a little bit, and maybe he didn't get in a rhythm because of it, and the Jazz were you know, pretty good defensively against him. They swarmed him. They didn't let him push them around too much, and, and so I wonder if that imbalance affected the Clippers in the second half of the game uh, when they really couldn't get things going against the Jazz defense. And, and then another part of that is just if the, <laughs> if the Jazz make three-point shots, and they're not going to make ten in a row every game against the Clippers, but mm. if they make three-point shots, like I just don't know what you do with them. Right. Uh, offensively like they're just they're so efficient and they're so patient and Doc Rivers mentioned this after the game and I thought it was kind of a kind of a confusing point but I guess it it makes sense a little bit where he's like everyone says that they play slow because they're last in pace but he's like they really do play fast they just use up the entire 24 seconds to to score so I think what he's talking about is you know you saw it a lot in this game of they they push the tempo off misses they push the tempo off you know makes even and, and obviously live ball turnovers when they push that it wasn't necessarily to get a fast break score. It created mismatches, right? Yeah. And they took advantage of those mismatches really well as the game went on. That's why they're something like the second or third best team after defensive rebounds in the league. Right. It's because they're they're very efficient at making that happen. Even if, even if it doesn't happen all the time, even if those possessions end up taking longer, they end up using them to score efficiently. Right. So yeah. two statistical anomalies in this game. You already mentioned it, Zach, the 10 threes in yeah. a row, which is weird. We saw Oklahoma City do that to the Jazz, what, five days ago, five right. games right. ago? You never see that, and Oop. it happens twice in five games. And Austin Rivers did say, if it takes 10 threes in a row for them to beat us, then we're doing all right. Right. Yeah. Shots and, and, fired. And I think everyone feels that way. I mean, the Jazz felt that way about fired. Oklahoma City. <laughs> Where's the anomaly, though, with Blake Griffin getting eight field goal attempts? Who? Where does he take shots in the playoffs? Who played and got a lot of baskets up or got a lot of shots up in that game that Blake Griffin ends up taking those when the Jazz meet them in the postseason? Rivers? I mean, Rivers only took. He took had a good 11, game. He right? always plays well. He took eleven. Like that's not a bad number for, yeah. for Austin Rivers, and and especially no. when he's getting shots against Alec Burks and he's getting into the paint and right. at ease, they they will take that. Yeah. Uh, Jamal Crawford, how many did he have? Jamal Crawford ended up eight with shots. eight shots. I mean, Jamal yeah. Crawford's going to get eight shots a game, yeah. even if he only plays fifteen he, minutes. He's yeah. getting yeah. Eight, sure eight, he shots eight shots. He's definitely getting eight shots. Okay. The, the number is that Chris Paul took twenty-one shots. I don't think you're going to see Chris Paul always take twenty-one shots. Right. That's how he got to thirty-three points. Jazz are fine with that. If you can get about yeah. 30 field goal attempts for Blake Griffin and Chris Paul, I think that's successful. You bump it up to about 40 with DeAndre Jordan. I, I don't think it's actually all that strange what we saw. It was maybe a little unbalanced because Chris Paul got so many, but he was, he was on fire. He was hot in the first half. I, I think that's probably what you end up seeing, 40. Maybe you get up to 45 in the postseason, but I, I think the shot distribution was actually pretty correct in this situation. It was so interesting because like, the biggest question before the game was how are the Jazz going to defend Blake Griffin without Derek Favors, right? right. He's the natural guy you would think would guard Blake Griffin's strength and size and everything else. And then Joe Johnson, Gordon Hayward, and you know whoever else ended up on him, Boris Diaw really starting the game, did a tremendous job. Like The whole, the whole time did fantastic. You know? So I, I, I think that may be a little bit overblown is one, is one of the things I learned. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that... I think Blake Griffin is a a monster, right? Like he's he's yeah. an unbelievable basketball player. But if you can kind of keep him from being physically dominant, and and they have, I mean, I you I think you mentioned it, you showed a, a clip online, like they were just leaving Luke Bamute, <laughs> yeah. right? Like they right. just left him, and it's like, hey, you want to pass it to him in the corner? Go ahead. Like right. we're if Luke if Luke beats us, then Luke beats us. Like they're fine with that. And if you can commit to that style and not panic if a guy does hit a shot. Um, which they, he did, right? Which he did. But if you can panic and when, when he doesn't hit a, th- you know, if he does hit a three and stick to that, it just crowds things for Blake. And he's still a skilled shooter. He's still a very good passer. Um, he can still, you know, bully some guys. But if if you don't give him that physical advantage and you just leave a player and say we dare you to have that guy beat us, it crowds everything they want to do inside. 
I also think there's something to when he thinks there's a mismatch, even if it's not that tremendous of a mismatch. Like Joe Johnson, Gordon Hayward are strong guys, right? Like they can – sure, Blake Griffin's I think is stronger and bigger and has an advantage there, but it's not as much of an advantage as you might get off just a standard pick and roll. You're not not guarding Shaq, right? Right, exactly. (laughs) So it it almost is kind of a a trap that the Jazz can set is just, hey, sure, give the ball to Blake down there 15 feet in the post and have him go to work. See, you know, make him – Take some tough little scoopy kind of shots, some, right. some followaways, and, and see you know if, see if you can make them. Now maybe the problem is what Zach was saying earlier is you don't want to expose, you don't want to play all your cards in the regular season. You don't want to show right. your game plan in the regular season. If they go back to that in Game One against the Clippers, whether they're at Los Angeles or whether they're here, Blake Griffin is waiting for that. Blake Griffin has seen the the gif of Gordon Hayward posting him up and everyone mm-hmm. praising Gordon Hayward. I don't want that matchup again if I'm the Jazz. Uh, maybe a possession, maybe two. But yeah, for you're the not most relying part, on that, right? Yeah, you're not going to go there 15 yeah. times on low post situations. And he's not going to get that many. But you know, you're not going to go back to that over and over. Ideally, from, from a Jazz point of view or from a Clipper point of I view. I think from a Jazz point of view. Okay. I think from a Clippers point of view, I will take that. I will take Blake Griffin against uh, Gordon Hayward. I'll take Blake Griffin against Joe Ingles, which you saw a couple of times in the first half mm-hmm. against Joe Johnson. And I will live with those results because I don't think he's only going to make three baskets. It's not just that he only had eight attempts. He shot poorly on those eight attempts. Yeah. He, he could just as easily go seven of eight in in that yeah. matchup, and then he kills the Jazz. See, I, I'm I'm and not he, as convinced. He, and about he didn't that. get to the line either, right? I mean, that's that's a that's big a thing big too. Thing. And that happened, you know, against a smaller defender, you would expect him to get to right. the line a ton. And and you know, to the Jazz's credit, they didn't do that. But I actually like the idea of Gordon Hayward at the four for small stretches of the game. You know, I, I think that can that can work for the Jazz really well offensively, first of all, and then defensively it, they can keep up like we saw. I, I, I sure I think it's. It's probably not the Jazz's best defensive lineup, but I think you you get a lot of benefits from that uh, that sort of spacing on the offensive end. And you can sucker him out of the pick and roll. Again, right. that's the idea. Right. Yeah. Like you guys were saying, you sucker him out of the pick and roll, and you say, okay, then you don't allow Chris Paul to have either Blake Griffin or DeAndre Jordan, whoever's setting the screen, right. to be able to run that because, yeah, you trapped them. It's the way you'll let Wes, Russell Westbrook take a couple of threes early in the game. For sure. If he hits one, you say, oh, he'll go one for six, and we love that. We love the idea that he falls in love with his jumper early. If he burns a six for nine like he did against the Jazz, I guess that happens. Yeah. But yeah. for the most part, you will give him that shot, let him feel like that's his basket, and let, and let him run with that for the rest of the game. Do you guys think that teams really do hold stuff back? Like, I asked Doc Rivers about that pregame, Zach. Yeah. I think you were there. And he said, no, I don't think they really hold teams really hold plays back. They hold players back. You know, certainly, like, Warriors-Spurs matchup where everyone rested, right? right. Uh, but do you think they hold players and sets and, and mismatches and those sort of things back in, in regular season? 100%. I know Eric Spolster did Doc lied it. to me is what you're saying. Yes, Doc. Okay. Great he, with the media. say he held it back. He held, yeah, he <laughs> he held, held back. back. He held back the truth, right? Okay. Um, I know Eric Spolster, for a fact, did it a lot. Yeah. You know, and, and it's just, I mean, why why wouldn't you? Right. What a dumb thing to just say, hey, this is what we do. Yeah. Like, this is what we're going to do. That You know, try and stop it. Like, this isn't Packers football in the 60s. Like, that's not, it's just, a, we're, we're a smarter sports, sports culture at that point. And you also don't install everything in your offense throughout the regular season because you play 30 different, 29 different teams throughout the year. So, yeah, you've got your playbook, but right. then when you know you're going to face up against the Clippers at worst four times in a row and potentially seven times in a row, well, you'll just put in some different sets that, yeah. that are going to allow you to attack and, that team differently. And I was I was talking to an assistant coach from a different team a few weeks back, and he was telling me, like, the Jazz are so hard to, to prepare for because they I think he said they're the s- second or fourth deepest playbook of yeah. anyone in oh. the league on stuff they track. And so you're not running every single play in that playbook throughout the regular season. You're, you're keeping lineups, you're keeping – um, you know, certain sets, you're keeping certain certain advantages kind of at bay because you you want to be able to unleash those in, in 
opportunistic moments. And it kind of has to be that deep given how many half-court possessions the Jazz have, right? right? Like you need to run plays. You can't just run yeah. slow all the time. Are you I'm just surprised the Jazz haven't run more of the crazy lineup potential that they have had to start the season, which is Boris Diaw at the five, Gordon Hayward at the – I mean, they haven't gone mega small and just right. gone bizarre for three minutes or four minutes to end a quarter. They, I don't think Quinn Snyder has tested as much as I thought the Jazz were going to going into the hmm. year. That's maybe where we start to see a little bit more uh, of some things that you throw in in the playoffs. I, I'm surprised this year. I don't think he's doing it by mistake. I, I don't think it's accidental for him to not be running those out. I'm sure he's tried them and knows what will and won't work when you get into a real game. I, I'm just surprised. I thought we would see more variation in how the Jazz used players in different spots. Yeah, I mean, we've seen like Trey, Lyles, Boris, Diaw lineups, but sure. I think Boris is just so horrendous as an interior right. defender that like it, it becomes really clear that you're not getting a whole lot from it. And he doesn't give you much on the offensive side as far as being a scorer, right. again, which is the problem. If he was shooting the three better, and we talked about this in the last show, I think you could get him out there in more different situations to, to exploit matchups, but he doesn't really exploit matchups all that well because you can defend him with almost anybody on the floor. Yeah, and or, heck, you could not defend him, and you're probably right. going to be okay. Right. Uh, I, I kind of wonder if part of that, and maybe this is actually the incorrect line of thinking and, and wondering if that hasn't happened, is I wonder if the injuries have prevented that. Now, you could sure. think, like, injuries would allow you to do that because yeah. certain guys are on the floor, but I really do think, like, you're – when when you lose the injuries in that way, you do lose a little bit of that, oh, maybe we should test this out because you have to be technically more careful with your rotations and with what you're going to test out against better opponents. And you need to develop those guys you want to have on the right, court to exactly. close the game. You need to have those five guys when they are healthy. You can't say, well, let's let's take eight minutes in this Timberwolves game or in this New Orleans game and, and play around here. It's like, no, those eight minutes at the end of the season might honestly be 10% of what you've seen throughout right. the entire year with how many injuries the Jazz have seen uh, and, and say that's what we feel like we can rely on. We want to make sure they have as much chemistry as possible. Yeah, I, I think that's one reason you're seeing Quinn Snyder stay with lineups late in games. You know, He'll stay with the starters late, way after a game has kind of been decided. You know, 25, 20-point 20 blowout, and the starters are still in there with three minutes left. You, you, I think he wants to see what those guys can do as a combination right. and have, have that data. Assuming Favors is healthy uh, going into the playoffs, and by hell, he's not going to be 100 percent this year. But let's right. say he's able to play like he has when he's been on the Jazz so mm -hmm. far this season. What does the rotation look like? I mean, did we see what the Jazz rotation was? Does he take Jeff Withy's eight minutes? Does he take, you know, all of Boris Diaw's 21 minutes? What, what, where does Favors fit in, and who doesn't play? Because we had talked about this, but again, it's going right. to depend on who they play in the first round. Yeah, I, I mean, I think you you probably do what we've seen when when Favors has been healthy, which is he plays the first four or five minutes of every half, and then is strictly a backup center besides that. Yeah, I mean, you're probably taking away six to eight minutes of Diaw. You're taking away with these minutes. You're taking four minutes away from Ingles and, and Joe Johnson, maybe. Yeah. You know, I mean, that probably rounds it. I, I don't think you're playing favors 30 minutes. Yeah, and, and you, I think you can basically only play him against Blake Griffin at the four, you know? Right. Uh, against any other matchup, you, you don't. I don't know. I mean, game. maybe you play him against Mo Spates. Okay, Mo, sure. I mean, Mo, dude. His his defense, like I know we're not expecting right. Bill Russell out there, but his defense was exceptionally it was, bad. It was real bad. <laughs> How much is most base playing the four versus the five of this year? I, uh, I think it. its majority is at the five. Yeah, I think they've really gone small, and even that times put Brandon Bass next to him. Which my God, what a terrible idea! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's kind of my sense too. Is is Favors is going to end up against most Bates just because he's they're both playing center, yeah. you know, backup center. I have a question for you guys. Did were you concerned? Uh, he didn't shoot all that well from the outside. Um, but it seemed like the Jazz had a real problem sticking with J.J. Redick. Does that concern you yeah. in a playoff series? They, I mean, just that, s having someone to do that, or do you think Rodney Hood or, or even Joe Ingles can stay with him? 
I think they, I mean, just Rodney Hood, Joe Ingles, and, and Gordon Hayward are so much bigger than J.J. Redick yeah. that I think it's harder for them physically just to, like, fit through the screens and the elevator doors and everything else to kind of maneuver and stay with Jordan, uh, sorry, J.J. Redick for for those kind of uh, screen runs, I guess he yeah. does. But, uh, so, yeah, I, I guess I'm a little bit worried. Um, I think those are more difficult shots than we we say that they are you know he's generally catching the ball on the run and then i'm thinking of a couple plays where like joe ingles forced him towards the corner and then he kind of does have time to get a hand over there even though redding missed a shot um but yeah i think it's something that the jazz have to worry about one thing i noticed they were doing was having gobert kind of stunt at redick if uh if they thought whoever Joe Ingles was guarding him was, was too far behind. Right. Um, and I think that's probably effective and something something we'll see a lot of, um, especially when they do have Blake Griffin in the game and yeah. you, can, you kind of feel confident having whoever slide over. I'm actually surprised that that was effective because I feel like Rudy stunting on that w- should allow someone like DeAndre or someone like Blake to take advantage right in the middle yeah. of the floor. Yeah. Um, and I, I was a little shocked that the Clippers didn't do more um, to take advantage of that. It also depends on who you have passing the ball. Not that sure, J.J. Reddick's right. a bad passer, but right, he's not right. Chris Paul, and Austin Rivers doesn't look to pass. Right. So Austin Rivers is going to be happy. My fear, though, is that it's, if the Jazz lose this playoff series with the Clippers, it comes down to Austin Rivers and J.J. Reddick being those extra guys where you figured out a way to allow Chris Paul to not go off for 45, and I don't, you know, he's not that type of player regularly, but he doesn't single-handedly beat you. Blake doesn't single-handedly ble- beat you. DeAndre doesn't. But then you have that extra guy, and it's either Austin Rivers or J.J. Reddick, and the fact that they're so dissimilar in the way that they play, you just can't keep up with defending. Him. The way you yeah. like to throw different looks at, a, at an offensive player when you're playing defense, they throw different looks at you offensively and say, okay, yeah, Austin Rivers isn't a great three-point shooter, but he's dangerous enough that if you leave him open, he'll take it and he can make it. And if you close out too hard like Alec Burks was doing or like Dante Exum will do, he'll just beat you off the dribble and get to a, a layup. And again, you can't leave DeAndre Jordan. You can't leave Blake Griffin because if they do, they will just throw that lob. And that's yeah. where those guys get so dangerous. And, th- and that's, yeah, if, if they have five shooters on the floor, or, you know, if, if they have Mbamute or Wesley Johnson out there, right. then just leave those guys, right? And we saw the Jazz do that over 100%, and over again. Yeah. Uh, if it's a lineup like Jamal, Chris Paul, you know, JJ Reddick. Jamal just cooks them. Like, right. Yeah. I mean, he they really is, they he does so, such a good job of coming around a screen against them and finding himself against a big and for whatever like he does it against everybody right but for whatever reason like he he loves those sight lines he makes the shots in in (laughs) Vivens Farnholm Arena like he loves the he loves shooting there and I think that's the jazz design the the jazz design is to stop the big three and if the other guys can beat you they beat you and that because clearly that's why Austin Rivers has gone off that's why uh, Crawford has gone off that's why uh, JJ will go off against the jazz at least one point in this series that's that's by design by the jazz as well I think I think well I I would say some of it's by design and sometimes I think it's that the jazz's bench isn't any good defensively sure like I, I think that's a big deal if if you're playing Trey Lyles and Boris Dio like the Jazz did, uh, or you know you can bring Jeff with you on the perimeter. You've got Alec Burks and Dante Exum as your guarding as your guards defending whoever the Clippers have out there. Uh, you know Austin Rivers and, and Jamal Crawford are going to get a lot of a lot of joy out of that. It is also worth noting uh, the Jazz' first loss of the season against the Clippers, which was the 88-75, when the Jazz came back a little bit late, but that game was, it was a blow. unwatchable. It was, it was over, yeah. There's no Gordon Hayward there, and the Jazz right. without Gordon Hayward aren't going to beat most teams right. in the NBA. And then their second loss, here's the Jazz starting lineup. Uh, Hayward, Hill, Gobert, Favors, Ingles. You didn't have Rodney Hood in that game, so yeah. you hope you at least have a, it, a general idea of who your starting five is going to be. Yeah, Jazz it, hardly it, had Rodney Hood this game. I mean, right. with how much foul right. double he had. Right. And in that game, that second game, I mean, they did just miss shots. 
And sometimes it's that simple, right? Like it sometimes teams just miss shots. Yeah. And there's not and there's not really anything you can do about it. Do the Jazz have a guy in a playoff series who you can say the way we've been talking about? I said either JJ Redick or Austin Rivers, and, and throw uh, Crawford into that as well. One of those guys is just going to beat you in one of the games. They are going to get the Clippers a win. That combination of three players yeah. will get the Clippers a win in a seven-game series. Do the Jazz have a guy not named George Hill, Gordon Hayward, Derek Favors that can do that? Yeah, Joe Johnson. Joe Johnson. Yeah, That's he will. He will absolutely have one of those games because he d- he does it every t- almost. I mean, I guess he didn't do it with Miami, but he does it. Pretty much every year. I'd also throw out Rodney Hood, right? I mean, we've yeah, seen Rodney him can have 20, 25 point scoring nights. Yeah, he's certainly inconsistent. And that's the idea. If you can get two of those guys, the way you know J.R. Smith will get you a game in a, yeah. in a postseason series because he'll hit six threes yeah. in the third quarter or three threes in the third quarter to keep you alive or get you back in a game. I think that's a big question because yeah, I, w- I would like to think that's the case with Hood. I hope Joe Johnson still has the legs to do it, and he clearly looks like he does. I hope Hood is that guy because if he can do that, and then you have Joe Johnson who can do it, and you've got your other three guys who are going to win you games, the Jazz get really, really good at that point. Yeah, I, I think Hood is that guy. Also, Joe Ingles was phenomenal. I was just going to say that, was, yeah. like he, he he has those moments where he'll hit two, three threes in a row, and it, it is that kind of back, uh, that back-breaking moment. He carried the Jazz for the, the entire like last half, first, second, uh, and the entire second quarter. I mean, yeah. just I, I was blown away with how well he What's going to be funny is there is going to be a point this summer where he gets – a really healthy contract, right? Mm-hmm. And people are going to freak out because they just don't know don't who know he him. is. Yeah. And and then if you pay attention a little bit after that, you'll be like, oh, yeah, that guy's totally worth that money. <laughs> they talked about him a little bit on the True Who podcast uh, released yesterday. And yeah. they said, you know, looks like the Jazz will probably need to trade at least Alec Burks and, and maybe even Derek Favors to afford the free agent deals that they'll have to sign this offseason uh, with Joe Ingles, right? Because, I mean, really, he's – at this point, has turned into a guy that like you really, really want to keep around here. He's more consistent than Rodney Hood is. He's better than Alec Burks is. I yeah. mean, in that sense, you, that might even come down to being the situation of the future for the Jazz. Is do you keep investing in Rodney Hood, hoping he reaches a ceiling, even if he's had health issues, or do you just go with Joe Ingles, who just he just does it. He just delivers consistently. Yeah. But uh, this offseason, obviously, Alec Burks or Joe Ingles, that that answer is really easy. You go with Joe Ingles, and you find a way to get rid of Alec. Right. And I mean, with Joe, this is obvious, but like. How often does he take a three where you expect it to not go in? Right. Right? Like, he's become that kind of a shooter where he's just entirely reliable. And he – and not only does he have the – like, he obviously has confidence. He has confidence in literally every step of his life, right? (laughs) But but his teammates, they all think that's going in too. And that that stuff just – the ball whips around quicker – the, you know, you're just in a better position offensively because you have that confidence in your teammate. We're seeing him take shots that he never did in his first two seasons. Right. I mean, off pick and roll kind of stuff when, when defenders go under or are trailing, he didn't have the ability to kind of pull up and shoot from there in, in right. the previous years. It's gotten to a point where I legitimately think someone's stupid if they go under a pick on him. Yeah. I mean, I, oh, I, yeah. I mean, why would you do right. that? Right, right. He's so he slow, it's can, not like you can't catch up. Right? He, can kind of, he can put you in jail, and he can get you on his shoulder, yeah, and he can get to the sure. basket, and he's a good finisher once he gets there, but he's way more dangerous as a three-point shooter. And what I like about him, He's not 5 for 6 at 3 one night and 0 for 6 the next night right. to get to 45%. Yeah. He's not that guy. He's right. 2 of 5 at worst every single night. Right. Maybe 1 of 3 if he doesn't get a lot of usage, but he is a guy who's going to hit a 3 or 2 every single game. Who was talking about that when they came here? Was it Fizdale, Spolster? I'm trying to think. Someone, yeah, I think someone it was Fizdale. Okay. Because, um, yeah, that, I think for like a bench shooter, that's that's pretty rare. Uh yeah, I, Joe Ingles, man. Good good basketball player. Good player. You know a player Shouldn't I like in the offseason? Again, mm. not to get too far for the Jazz, I just like his contract, is obviously Boris Diaw because it's totally non-guaranteed. You can waive it. 
you can trade it, or you can hold on to him if you feel like you know what you got to get rid of favors. Yeah. He's not the worst guy at eight million dollars on the end of your bench if you have to yeah, play for right. a couple of minutes. Yeah, it's not crazy certainly. And you've got three different options that you can do with him that are all really really valuable for the Jazz because some team may need eight million dollars that they can waive. Some team may want Boris Diaw and be willing to pay him eight million dollars, or the Jazz can just cut him and say, fine, we don't need that money either. We want to clear that space to bring back a guy like uh, like uh, Joe Ingles. Right. Yeah. yeah. Completely agreed. Uh, anything else from that game? Uh, physicality. The, Chris mean, Paul's comments. It got real test. I didn't have a problem with Chris Paul's comments. No, I didn't either. Yeah. I mean, I th- all right. Not to, not to get on the wrong side of the listenership. Yes. But for a fan, for fans. a fan base that, at least from my experience, complains so much about the officials, to be mad about the opponent who want like complains to the officials constantly. <laughs> you think just jazz seems fans are, are, are more uh, willing to blame the officials than, than in my experience. I mean, great. I've only been here like a year and a half, right? But well, you would I, know better than I. I mean, I grew yeah. up in Salt Lake. Right. I'm from here. Right. I, I don't know what Memphis fans say about the uh, about the the, the whistles. I think day. Memphis fans are just. Could we have won a fight in this game? Huh. Yes, then we're fine, right? Like I think, All like, um, but yeah, I like I do feel like officiating is a bigger issue with jazz fans than. Most fan bases, I would say. Now, I don't think they're the worst by any means, but I think like with most fan bases, it is a point of emphasis all the time. So who's more willing to be – who's more likely to be taken out of a series because of chippiness? The Clippers or the Jazz? Who's more likely to have that rattle them so badly I mean, that it I would, them the series? I would guess the Jazz huh. just because they have less experience. And so I think that – I think Rudy can be susceptible to that, right? Like I think Gordon can be not as susceptible, but I could see a moment in the playoffs where – he complains a little too much or whatever, and, and it gets in his head. Um, with the Clippers, I, ne- I don't find that their complaining is their downfall in the postseason. Like two years ago, they just flat out ran out of gas, right? Okay. And the Rockets. Yeah. I mean, Josh Smith had a uh, – <laughs> right. like Josh Smith hit threes to beat them, and yeah. like that's just not going to happen, right? Like to me, they ran into bad luck. Chris Paul breaks his hand, and sure. Blake Griffin tears that tendon or whatever again. Um, I don't I – don't, like I think they're annoying in the way they do it. But I don't think it's this thing where, where it's a huge detriment to them. I think it's more just aesthetically unpleasing. Do we all agree that Rudy's getting superstar calls now as a shot blocker? I mean, he's getting that respect. I mean, they he, say you're a shot blocker. We're mm-hmm. going to give you leeway on contact because he, Jeff Withy, is not going to get the same right. lack of calls. Derek Favors even won't even get the same lack of calls that Gobert gets now. They keep Rudy Gobert in the game. The officials do because yeah. they say you've earned that. You're a shot blocker. You do it right often enough that we're going to give you the benefit of the doubt. I think that... And as a screener, too, I think. I, yeah. I think they've totally started to allow him to screen. Yeah, because yeah, when he's dipping to turn and run to the basket, he I mean, he bends over halfway right. to push the guy back an extra foot and a half to give mm-hmm. the ball handler, give himself an extra little bit of right. leeway. Uh, I think him having that leeway now from the officials will will allow him to stay in the game more likely yeah. with the chippiness. Not just he, because they're not going to get yeah. him in foul trouble, but because I think he recognized that he is getting respect. What's interesting, though, is he complains a lot to officials. Yeah, for sure. He gets back on defense, but he but he complains he talks a lot. often. Which is not yeah. a bad thing. No, I don't think... You no, absolutely no. should do I think that. you should work yeah. the officials. As long as you're not getting technical fouls, as long as you're not right. Draymond Green or Boogie, Russell Westbrook yeah. about it, right, or Boogie, like, I think you should work the officials as much as possible. I think it's really... like I talked to Quinn a little bit about this, and he said that he thinks... That by treating the officials with respect and you know not showing them up and that sort of thing, he thinks that'll pay dividends in the long run when you do have a playoff series and you know they have some sort of affinity for you rather than I, I think a lot of referees in the league probably aren't the biggest fans of refereeing the Clippers right because they a, a, any mistake you make right. is, is going to be visible and and yell and your doc's going to yell at you and everything else, but maybe that's more effective than having 
you know, those relationships, so to speak. What's a technical foul cost now? Was it five thousand dollars, twenty five hundred, whatever? It's, it I think it's twenty five hundred yeah. bucks. Is Quinn Snyder willing to in the postseason? I'm not trying to get into his bank account. <laughs> is he willing to pay twenty five hundred dollars to get the Jazz a foul call the next the next trip down the floor? I think he's not willing to give up the point to get the Jazz the foul right. call huh. the next down the you know, I like he's got money, he's fine. Sure. But like <laughs> Well well I don't know. It's fine. I mean, I don't think this is the case for Quinn Snyder, but a lot of uh, Greg Steensma, there was a week when he was on the Timberwolves where, like, Jarrett Jack went after him, uh, I think Chris Paul went after him, and Matt Barnes went after him. Mm. Like, and it was just this really weird week of games where everyone was taking a shot at Greg Steensma. <laughs> and, we, and, you know, we were talking to him Very about it, week. and he was like, eh, I know nothing's going to happen. Nobody wants to lose that money. And that way, and like, mm. granted, he's a minimum player, but I do think that a lot of guys are cognizant of, I don't want to give up this, this paycheck, rather oh. than I don't want to give up this point. I, oh. I would hope he'd be willing to do it. Even more valuable than the point. I mean, I think just establishing that, that I will get the technical foul and I will get on you with the understanding that you have to pay me back because that is absolutely how it works and you see it happen time in mm-hmm. and time out. As long as you're not being unruly, like we had mentioned right. with these guys who just do it for no reason, just right. seemingly because like they Steve, like I mean, complain. Steve Kerr makes a point to get technical fouls, Pop right? Does, like, right. Pop does like, hey, it, yeah. Jerry used to be the king of it. Jerry right. Sloan used to be the king of saying, I'm going to go out and I'm going to get a technical foul. And even occasionally... Once a year, I'm going to get tossed for my team just to uh, just so they know I'm there. Yeah. Right. Just so I'm back there. I, I bet you Quinn Snyder picks up a technical foul in the playoffs, and he's not a guy who gets a lot of techs. No, I, I should look up how many he has this season. I think it's one. Probably, yeah. I, I think the Jazz trainers get one or two a year. I mean, they <laughs> honestly might <laughs> get more. One. Yeah, yeah, they get more than, than, uh, than actually Quinn gets. Yeah, and, and you know the players don't get them. Either. Like Gordon's gotten two in his career, I think maybe three. Uh, you know, Rudy gets like kind of player uh, confrontation technicals, but rarely Favors referees occasionally will hit yeah. a ball out of someone's hand. But right. yeah, it's really rare. Um, I I mean personally, I liked how chippy and physical it was. It was entertaining, I did too. and it just sets up a better playoff stage, right? Right. Like I think these teams, if they if not by the next time they play, by game one and a half of, of that playoff series. They're going to hate each other. And, <laughs> and that just get, adds a lot of fun. Not to be too cliche, it's just it's good the Jazz answered the, the chippiness. Because Absolutely. in the past, that yeah. has been the problem with the Delonte West, finger in the ear of Gordon Hayward, guys walking <laughs> from Hayward that. at the free throw line. I mean, there was this question of who's going to get out there and be tough. Mm-hmm. Now, I know George Hill was one of the guys with Quinn Snyder pulling Rudy back. Rudy's going to be a tough guy. George Hill will be a tough guy yeah. when he needs to be because he is a tough guy. Boris Diaw won't be afraid to mix it up either if you have to, and neither will Joe Johnson because he has $200 million, and he can, he can afford <laughs> that $2,500 technical foul if he has to. I don't know if Gordon will ever be that guy. I think the Jazz have plenty of guys on this roster, though, that aren't afraid to be that. Joe Johnson's a mix-it-up guy? I think he will be if he has to <laughs> I in the playoffs. Yeah, yeah, I think he's one of those guys where— uh, He's not going to look for it. Right. He's not when going the popcorn's to popping. initiate Popcorn's it. popping, and if, he, if someone gets in the face of his teammate— yeah. He will be the first to get in there. He's not going to do it with 30 seconds left of a game the Jazz have already won against the Clippers. <laughs> right. You know, and maybe that's where Rudy needs to figure it out. But the third quarter, if someone's wrapping him up or, or yeah, is getting in his face, I, I, I think Joe Johnson could answer that bell. Was that on Was that on Rudy Gobert or Chris Paul? And, they, and like, to me, that's that's Chris Paul getting frustrated and shoving Rudy Gobert. Oh, yeah, Gobert for sure. Twice, right? I think that was on Chris. Yeah. Was that retaliation for the J.J. Redick? I mean, Probably. I, again, and yeah. go- good. That's I, I hate to be the guy who says, well, you know, you stared at a home run, so I get to hit you with a baseball at 90 miles an hour <laughs> next time you're at bat. I don't agree with that. Yeah. But I, I there's that's how the NBA works. That's how basketball works, and I don't have a problem with yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, how much did people freak out when – I mean, Grant, all right, this may be extreme, but people freaked out when Zaza Pachulia leveled Russell Westbrook yeah. and no one retaliated, no one got in his right. face, right? Like, Ennis Cantor was right there and mm. did nothing, right? And that stuff – it's not going to tear the Thunder locker room apart, but when J.J. Reddick gets elbowed in the face and two minutes later or five minutes later, whatever it was, 
Chris Paul ends sure. the game with an unnecessary push because he didn't like that and he didn't like how much Rudy was talking. Right. That you go back in that locker room and JJ Redick knows Chris still has my back. Chris will always have my back. Like that stuff matters. And it goes back to the understanding of nobody wants to pay that twenty five hundred. Right. Bucks. Exactly. And yeah. now <laughs> JJ Redick says you just spent twenty five hundred dollars yeah. on me. I mean that is right. rewarding mm-hmm. your, your your player, and that is yeah. why guys will pay each other's taxes. Yeah. Well. Although he is a he is a, a watch guy, so maybe he would have rather that go sure. towards a vintage watch. Okay. Or an Apple Watch. Or an Apple Watch. I bet he has one. He so. probably yeah probably has two. <laughs> Expensive Apple Watch. I mean, yeah, I guess they do make the fancy ones, right? Yeah. Like oh, the yeah. gold wristbands and everything else. Oh, yeah. I don't know how that Stars, works. they're just like us. Are they? <laughs> <laughs> uh, anything else from that game? I think it's uh, – I mean, I think that's the playoffs. I mean, Looking I, forward to I, it. I don't think anyone's yeah. not excited for that playoff yeah. matchup. And now that the Jazz have a win, that's got to be such a – Jazz fans just have to have so much more optimism going into that series than they would had they lost that game and then lost in a couple of weeks when they go and play at Los Angeles. Right. Yeah, they play March 25th in L.A., uh, games at 1.30. Uh, right now, Impredict is saying that the Jazz have a 45% chance at the 4 seed and a 47% chance at the 5 seed, to kind of give you an idea. So – this is this is very probably you know nine out of ten times going to be the matchup we see in this this year's playoffs. Yeah. So, uh, I want to talk about Defensive Player of the Year a little bit because obviously Rudy Gobert's had some tremendous defensive performances recently, uh, but Draymond Green has been incredible as well. I mean, especially last night, I'm thinking against the Philadelphia 76ers when he was really you know, pretty responsible for their comeback last night in the fourth quarter. Was he a steal away from um, a five by five yeah. last night yeah. with 20 points. That right. guy is. He was I don't a, he like was Draymond. <laughs> He's unreal. The first reaction is, oh, well, it was against the Sixers. Who cares? They were losing that game. Yeah, they needed that. Yeah, yeah, they're losing that game. They're, uh, I like, I humorously or tried to humorously point out that they're nine and seven since waving Anderson Vergeau. They're (laughs) forty-three and seven before that. Uh, So clearly, locker room guy. Locker room guy. People love it. Um, But he, you know, they were on the verge of being nine and eight since then, and just nine and eight in any stretch for that Warriors team is a disaster. And without you know Steph Curry playing all that well without Klay Thompson, you know dominating, and obviously Kevin Durant's out to be down ten points or whatever they were in the fourth quarter to that Sixers team, um, that would have been an embarrassing loss. And he just decided, nope, we're gonna win this game. And he was he was as good as you can get defensively. Like he just was. Yeah, I I, I mean I watched I watched like and it was yeah it was incredible. Just yeah. the, the, he he really does make plays that nobody else in the league does, and I think that's very you know you can say that about Rudy and you can say that about Kawhi too, right. which is what makes this race so difficult. Yeah, and I really like maybe this is a cop out to some people, but all three are equally deserving in my mind. Like they, I mean, they have all been so good in those very different ways, like you just mentioned, and two of those guys aren't going to get the award unless we have some weirdness that gets some tied in vote points and, and we get a co-defensive player of the year. Give but two, two of those guys aren't going to win the award and it's going to suck for them because they deserve it. But it's, I mean, it's, it's probably the most fascinating one we've had yeah. in a really long time. If you're a voter, you know, over the next 15 games, how are you deciding who to vote for? What are you looking at? What, you know, what is it that's going to make up your mind? Do they have three-sided coins because that's, I mean that's all I wouldn't okay. I, I honestly wouldn't know like do you value the rim protection of Rudy Gobert and what that allows the Jazz to do defensively more than you value the versatility of Draymond Green minus the testicle punching and kicking right like <laughs> right, but right. like do you do you value you know that versatility that kind of helps keep the Warriors a little weird in terms of lineups or do you value the guy in Kawhi Leonard where teams will just say, all right, we'll put Jimmy Butler in the corner right. and just play four on four and hope that hope that works, right? Which like, we, it, it kind of has. Right, I mean, sort of. Not, I mean, yeah. it, they're still a great team no matter who they throw on the floor because right. Pop's that good. I don't think that should go against Kawhi. But, yeah. like, I mean, it's just – it is three 
you know, generational defenders going for the award. If you want to just go off intangibles, and I, I'm not a voter, but intangibles, here's the problem. Rudy Gobert has the least amount of exposure of any of these three guys, mm-hmm. and that puts him at a major disadvantage. Yeah. And he's also got the least name value of any of these three guys because he's never been an all-star and he's never won a championship. Also has the fewest wins, right? I mean, sure. th- I think right. that, that matters. But the Jazz aren't on TV as much as the Spurs are, yeah. as much right. as Golden State is. You've never seen Rudy Gobert in the playoffs. He talked about that after the Jazz beat the Clippers. I mean, that that is going to be the reason why Rudy doesn't win it. Lil now, Wayne's never shouted his name. Exactly. Personally, here's what I would say. I get that Draymond Green can guard all five guys on the floor. And so can Kawhi. They can guard all five guys on the floor. Mm. Rudy does guard all five guys on the floor because he he patrols his own. He has to stop the rim, and he's the best rim protector we've seen in the NBA in several years now. Rudy, I would say, would be the guy. And if I was a coach and I was building a defense, I love Draymond. I love Kawhi, but if I'm building a defense, I'm going with Rudy because he makes the job so much easier hmm. for so many people. In every game, he has to guard five people. And almost every play he has to because he always has to be wary of what's going on at the rim. That would be my that would be my vote would be for Rudy, and I don't think that's just me being a homer. I just err on the side yeah. of if you have a rim protector, you're going to have a pretty good defense. Yeah, I mean, I think I, the, the thing I don't like about where this race is going is it's going to be – well, Draymond was so close the last two years. He's earned this, right? Yeah. And I hate that line of thinking because it should just be, this is what's happened this right. season, right? right? And so I, I don't have a problem if Draymond wins it. I have a problem if that's the reason you vote for him. Of Oh, well, he almost won two, the last two years, and you know he should probably get it now. Like, evaluate it based off what I think his play more than speaks for itself in validating his case for Defensive Player of the Year. I do think that what he is able to do in terms of switching everything sets a tone for – I think what's still the best defense in the league or was the best defense in the league up until two weeks ago, whatever the yeah. Warriors are. And for that Warriors team to still be a top defensive team, it is because of Draymond Green. Right. And and I think there is something to be said for uh, that team doesn't necessarily give 100% every night other right. than yeah. Draymond <laughs> right. in, in a lot of circumstances. Yeah. And I think that, yeah, him keeping it afloat in a, after uh, – I guess not winning a championship, but getting close, yeah. and you know th- that team could very easily be coasting for the playoffs, yeah. and that they're still so good defensively says something. They're all both, all three of them are all defense first team. There's yeah. no question oh about God, it. Yeah. Patrick Beverly probably at the point guard. And probably you yeah. got to find LeBron a spot. I would think they he, would throw LeBron. He should be in there. He's Again, been really I mean, they good. I've always thrown LeBron in yeah. there. He and he, he does deserve to be at the top there. But but who, you need a second guard, right? Yeah, maybe who would be the other guard? I guess is the question. Tony Allen again. Yeah, um, probably. I mean, probably Tony Allen. Uh, oh, Avery Bradley. Been okay, uh, he sure. missed some time, but he's been fantastic. But that's it. Those are your five. And, yeah. and I don't think there's any question that Draymond, Kawhi, and Rudy are all first-team right. members this year. And to to Ben's point about Rudy, the fact that the in a three-point era that the the Jazz allow the second lowest rate of three-pointers attempted mm-hmm. uh, in terms of percentage of, of shots, that's incredible. And it's because right? of Rudy. And it is, because, right. it is strictly because of Rudy. Like, Rudy has helped them in, entirely take away this – this three-point era of basketball, mm-hmm. right? And, like, we're going to grind it out. No, no, none of this pace and space crap. We are going to grind it out. We're going to run you off the three-point line. You are not allowed to play modern basketball against us. That's pretty impressive. Right. Yeah. That's devastating. It's yeah, just devastating because it, like, it changes the way you yeah, play the game. It changes the era when you're playing the, the Jazz. Like, I'd love that's to incredible. go back to that Clippers game and see the play where, where Gordon is bodying up Blake Griffin. I would love to see where... Rudy is because yeah. again I he's, only remember it now from the game. I mean I'm sure he's two steps away. Yeah, patrolling the paint. Yeah. He's probably on the weak side. I'm right. sure he's on the weak side with the foot in the paint. But Blake turns his corner and as he's kind of looking over his shoulder, you and know says, he's there. Rudy's there. Right. It's probably better for me to kick right. the ball out, even if I do have Gordon Hayward on me. And yeah. while while I don't think steals matter at all, 
the fact that Kawhi Leonard just literally takes the ball out of yeah. grown men's hands, right. like the best athletes, the strongest athletes in the world, they just hold the ball and he just says, no, I will take that from you now and go the other way. The, the things he's able to do on defense are – just they just don't make any sense. And he's not an irresponsible ball hawk. No, he's not right. a guy who's no, no, no. He, he doesn't gamble at all. Right. I see. Like I do think steals. I, I'm uh, steals matter, obviously, right? But like I, I don't. I, I don't agree. On like I think forced tur- force turnovers you? matter. Okay. But I don't think steal. I think steals are, steals and blocks are overrated stats or overvalued stats. In um, Steve Clifford's talked about this a lot, where he says they don't really matter because it. You you could be selling out your defense to get them. Yeah, like Monte Ellis averages two steals a game for his career or something close to that, right? right. Monte Ellis not a good defender. Right, uh, right. You I yeah I completely agree. I don't think you can yeah. rely on like steals and blocks to determine who your defense player of the year is right. going to be because otherwise you get Marcus Camby, right? Right, like exactly. Yeah, this is this is a problem. But I do think that like if you I think it's a good measure of guys you know that you know like Kawhi isn't leaving his defensive responsibilities right. to go to get yeah, steals. If there's a way to measure it versus like uh, alongside like what the defensive rating is on the court with that player, like right. if there's some way to combine those two, then I think yeah, then the steals statistic is valuable. Um I was looking at last year's defensive player of the year voting at lunch today even. Uh so Kawhi number 1, Draymond 2, Hassan Whiteside was third. That's <laughs> He was so bad defensively. That, that's your argument again about right. block shots and steals. Right. Because he's a block shot guy and everyone yeah. says, well, I mean, and, yeah. And I remember he's got three and a half a game. I remember when the Heat came here last season mm-hmm. and the Jazz just went at him, right? right? They put him in a pick and roll every right. single time he was on the floor. And Gordon even said, like, yeah, he's he's a really good shot blocker, but you get him away from the basket, you feel pretty good. Well, Rudy subtweeted Hassan Whiteside oh. four or five times last <laughs> year just saying, like, oh, that's <laughs> awesome. You can protect the rim. Like, uh, right. he's come on playing defense everywhere, right. too. Yeah. Ru- yeah I, <laughs> if. If for whatever reason there is a voting snafu and Hassan ends up with more votes than Rudy, we may see Rudy actually kill somebody. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, that, that would be it. Would be absurd. he may find a voter and kill Rudy's them. the only. Get, Rudy um, found himself. The NBA tweeted out the all snub all star team. Yeah, and they didn't put his face on the snub team, and he was snubbed by being <laughs> snubbed. I mean, he is that <laughs> level of, of oh he of is furious scouring the internet. Yeah, yeah exactly. he's very much. He noticed scouring. he didn't. He noticed he didn't make the snub team. Right. Like, how is that possible? Right. <laughs> I mean, so he was voted su- he was seventh last year in Defensive Player of the Year voting. Yeah. Uh, Avery Bradley, Paul Millsap. Could and, part of uh, that have been the games he, he missed? What, like eighteen games or something like yeah. that? Yeah, I mean, and most of the second half of the yeah. season. Right. I mean, Wait, I don't what? know. What was the middle of the season? It was, he started yeah, it was middle of the MRI right? season. December, January, so February, January, January, I thought so. it was yeah, games forty to sixty is when he started missing games. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe yeah, I, I think it, it was earlier than that. I think it was it was certainly All Star break. Well, the Jazz could have been making that run to to try and make the playoffs. But but yeah, like Rudy. There is no like there, that's your three. That should be your top three. And if anyone yeah. votes for anyone other than those top three, like yeah, you're entitled to your opinion and all that crap that you have to say. You're wrong. <laughs> like you're just absolutely wrong, and, and you're a detriment to voting. Andre Drummond got a second round, uh, second place vote last he year. He is a horrendous yeah. defender. And Rudy will get one. Rudy will get a, a DPOY, whether it's this year, yeah. next year, or two years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now. He will get one if he doesn't get it this year. It's yeah. not a big deal. Yeah, that's a good point. All right, uh, potatoes. Yeah. Uh, Why are we talking about potato? Because of Dirk? Just because, yeah, Dirk got one, and then CJ Miles' wife, Lauren, posted that he got one, congratulating him for passing, I think, Troy Williams on the Pacers' all-time three shooting. Okay. List. What's no, the backstory Troy Murphy, on sorry. Troy Murphy. Uh, that makes way more sense. Sure. Uh, <laughs> Is it because Troy Murphy's Irish? I don't – well, why did Dirk get one then? I th- I, I'm guessing that Is it's Dirk from the same Irish? potato center. Is Nowitzki the- not an, a traditional <laughs> Irish name? <laughs> I think Mick Nowitzki is. 
I'm guessing that there's one person who's sending potatoes, not not hordes of them. Can do you? Know, do we know what the backstory is here with the potatoes? No, can't you make a? Not really. Can you make a clock out of a potato? Have I seen that science experiment? Yeah. Yeah. So then, I mean, is it is it out of the realm of possibility that you can make a bomb with a potato? Should I'm surprised we, we can send them in the mail. Right. That's that doesn't <laughs> seem safe. You can't just send potatoes to people. No. Here's here's the backstory from USA Today, uh, and I guess it makes sense why. It would uh, it would go with Dirk. I don't get why C.J. Miles would get one being in Indiana. Guys, a couple of guys went on uh, the Shark Tank, which is obviously Mark Cuban's show mm-hmm. on ABC, and they pitched a thing where yeah, you just send people potatoes as like a it's like a thank you note, and you just write on a potato, and this company will do this for you, and you send it out. And Mark Cuban thought it was ridiculous. Wait, you need to pay someone to write on a potato for you? These two guys asked for. $50,000 for 10% of their company, which is called Potato Parcel, and they p- you pay $10, and uh, they write a message on a potato and send it somebody, to somebody. Couldn't I just get a yeah. Sharpie? Yeah. Yeah, just get your own potato. And a potato. A bag I mean, you of potatoes bag a, yeah. is like 40 cents. Right. They're we so all have yeah, potatoes. It's the cheapest thing you can buy. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's not very if you are, If you are incomprehensibly poor but not homeless, you just buy potatoes all the time, right? Because you can do so many yeah. things with them. Oh, for sure. Yeah. That'd be, that'd be great. Uh, what's the weirdest thing you guys have gotten for voting? And in particular, Zach, I don't know how many things like I've never voted. You're, yeah, I've never. Well, I've ne- uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm registered to vote for NBA awards. I have never done it. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, I mean, I got sent like, uh, I got sent this like mini suitcase for Ty Lawson to the All Star game. Um, by Ty the, Lawson, huh? By the Denver Nuggets. This was obviously a couple years ago. <laughs> um, and it was like a, it was like a travel theme. So there was like a I heart TY in, in the style of like I heart NY. Okay. Um, there was a, I don't know, like a keychain or something and like a lanyard. Um, but it was, yeah, it was like, I, I'm, I'm not going to get Ty lost in the All-Star game. Why are you sending this yeah. to me for? No, that's, that was Ty's people talking right. to the Nuggets. And I mean, I'm sure it always is. Yeah. But. The best one I think that people got was Al Jefferson with the Hornets where they, they handed out paint cans because he was dominating the paint. I think it was ah. like an all-NBA third-team thing. And, and he made uh, it. He made Yeah, he made it, right. He so made the all-star game, yeah. he made all-NBA. And I know some writers who still have that can of paint. Huh. Is I it like a Hornets color? Yeah, I yeah. think it's like a Hornets teal or something like that. That would make sense. Yeah. Interesting. Um, Did the Jazz do that? Did the Jazz do anything like that for Hayward this year or Rudy this year? I mean, I know they bought some billboards and they put those up, but uh, I don't think they- They're still doing billboards in 2017? Jazz did. Seems like a waste of money. There's what, you and who else has a vote locally? I don't think anybody. Aaron, right? Aaron Falk? Yeah, but I guess Aaron. Right. Maybe Tony. Tony doesn't have one. No? Okay. What a- I just think it's a- Bad way to well, spend your Aaron money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot of it's fifteen thousand dollars. What if it's, what what if it's just outside of Aaron's house? Is that where it is? <laughs> Maybe that's 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 the deal is they actually constructed a billboard outside of his house. By the way, and I, I don't want to stop anyone from sending things to NBA players, but at locker room cleanout, one of the most bizarre things is how much mail those guys have right, in mm-hmm. their locker that they're cleaning out at the end of the year, which I guess some of them probably address it or good and get it to their assistants and help get it sent back out. I think a lot of guys just accumulate mail for whatever six months eight months the nba season is and then it goes out with whatever you know extra pair of socks they didn't wear in the season it is a shame that locker room clean out no longer takes place in the locker room like there was something about watching guys take their stuff literally out of the locker room now we just Just sit around the the shoes alone yeah like seeing them go through the shoes of i want to keep those now you can donate those or whatever i like that yeah real shame that that's now just a podium thing and not Uh, actual i also don't know that we should still be sending players things 
Who's we? Like, well, the, the just the collective. Like thirty-year-olds, I agree with you. <laughs> like eight-year-olds. Yeah, there's no parcel is going to go out of business Go'll if we don't. If you're like what? Like I think if you can legally drive, <laughs> yeah. you like that's the cutoff point, yeah, right? That's right. right. If it's not cute that you're at the airport waiting for right. the team to come yeah. back, don't send the players if anything I, if, either. If I can't tell whether or not you're going to throw this autograph on eBay, right? That's that's a bad sign, right? I mean that's something we've we kind of watch warmups before every game, right? And right. we see all those the autograph seekers want Gordon Hayward's or whatever stars in town autograph, yeah. and you can tell which guys are under fifteen right. <laughs> and which yeah. ones are <laughs> autograph seekers, right? Like yeah. it's it's just kind of sad and obnoxious. Have you ever been an autograph seeker? No, neither of you. Is that like I've appealed had to you? Balls signed before yeah. a game. I used to live where the Jazz used to practice, and okay. I'd go shag balls for Thurl Bailey, yeah. and he would sign stuff when I was. Eight years old, but yeah. I, I think the last autograph I got was at spring training. I was like 17. Yeah. And and I got um, like Marquise Grissom or someone to sign a baseball. And I like Marquise Grissom. He used to play on the Braves. I'm a Braves fan, whatever. Like, it would, like that was a cool moment for me. But then after, as I was like taking the ball away, I just thought like, well, now what am I going to do with this? Yeah. Like, yeah. I, like it's... It's uh, but like, am I going to keep a Marquise Grissom ball my whole life? Like probably not. And at some point it gets mean because you're going to go out and you want the Ricky Davis signature. Right. It's like <laughs> and there's this restraining right. order <laughs> over and over again but that like just I, keeps renewing. Know, who would you get? Yeah, I would love to get JJ O'Brien, like uh, the weird right. ten day <laughs> yeah. guy. Right. I, I would love a Steamsma autograph yeah. on yeah the the one jersey he got and played in two minutes. The Lou Amundsen and then you wear it, jersey. Right? That like, he's, right. Yeah, exactly. Oh yeah. But what? Also being ironic like that kind of just it, it yeah. wears yeah. out. I guess if you have like a collection, like if you're this huge like huge jazz fan and you're like, I want to try to get an autograph of everyone who's played for the jazz and like mm-hmm. that is your th- like I guess I kinda get that as like a collective thing. But yeah. if it's just random, then I then I I don't know, it doesn't make a connection yeah, with Yeah, like a, a signed ball is cool, I feel like. If you yeah. if you get that and put it on your mantle or right. whatever. And it also has to be that. a team that matters. If you right. have the O four oh five jazz signatures and they went through whatever twenty three games right. and you but have, I, ironically that's great. Clay, like yeah, right. Ironically, the yeah. oh yeah, it's you're a, taking that autograph to Bonnaroo and you're the king, right? right. Like that's what that's <laughs> what that is. It's a funny like think piece that you put in your house. It's a coffee exactly. table book, right. of a basketball. Ooh, a coffee table book of ironic autographs. Just autographs. Yeah. Just yeah, two hundred autographs, two hundred pages. All right. of I think we found a business here. <laughs> Better than potato parcel. <laughs> yeah. For, for All sure. right, we got to wrap up. But thank you guys so much for listening uh, to another KSL Court Report slash Salt City Hoops show, whatever this is. Um, as always, you can listen to more episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. You can follow all of us on Twitter. I'm at Andy B. Larson. Zach is at Talk Hoops. Ben is at Ben K. Fan. Never changing. It's never. Never like changing. It. It's a tribute. <laughs> if yeah. you get hired wherever, you'll, you'll just still be K. Fan. Depends on what they pay me. Right. <laughs> you got to negotiate that <laughs> yeah, into right. the contract. I like it. It's, it's smart. Uh, if you guys have any questions, comments, concerns for us, tweet us, let us know. Um, But for the time being, thank you guys so much for listening. Have a great day.